This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Welcome to the Candid Life podcast, where we turn our broken hallelujahs into melody lines of impact. And I am your host, Lydia. Folks, it's YOLO. You only live once. I'm sure you've heard the saying before. My mom always said, Cafe Diem sees the day. This is the second part of the podcast. The first one was with uh, my niece, Molly Jensen the CEO of Afropods. And today I am privileged to have my nephew, Stephen Botchway. Stephen graduated in 2020 from Georgetown uh, University in Washington, D.C. with degrees in African American Studies and Government. He currently works for a foundation dedicated to providing financial resources to young people in Chicago and the surrounding suburbs. Outside of this nonprofit, Stephen lives in Washington, D.C. I mean, so he does his work in Chicago. He lives in Washington, D.C. How does that work? Thank goodness for being able to work online. And he appreciates arts, music, the food scenes in that city. In his free time, Stephen enjoys reading and watching movies. Stephen, welcome to The Candid Life. It's so good to have you here today. Thank you. (laughs) It's great to be here. I'm really happy to be joining you. Fantastic. So, mm-hmm. Stephen, what we're going to do is, I, you know, I really want our listeners and our viewers to get to know you a little bit more. And then we'll also delve into some of your interests and the work that you do with the foundation. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. All right. Sounds good. So um, that bio that you gave really helped cover a lot of the big points. Outside of that, I would also share that I was born in Houston, Texas, so in some ways I feel connected to the South. That said, I did live most of my teenagerhood into adulthood outside of the South. I grew up in Chicago and the suburbs, then went out to D.C. for college, and I've been living in D.C. ever since. I'm really interested in the arts, really interested in reading, in race, cultural studies, that sort of thing. I'm really grateful that I was able to study African-American studies in government when I was at Georgetown. Why African-American studies and government? Mm. Well, for the African-American studies side, I'll say that that was something that I was always interested in. What I appreciated about the African-American studies degree is that there was there were two different focuses and I was able to take a focus that was a little more cultural because uh, I grew up doing a lot of art, music. I have a really big interest in the arts. So I feel like the African-American studies on the one hand, satisfied that interest in the arts, but then on the other side, theory that goes into talking about race and talking about society. And so it was really interesting to be able to do all those readings and have all that thinking about society, about race, about all these different aspects, whether it gender as well, um, just all these different things. So I definitely appreciated that African-American studies gave me that mix of theory and cultural studies. Mm -hmm. And government, I mean, I... Definitely have had an interest in politics and law for a bit. My dad used to tell me all the time growing up, he still does actually, that he thinks I should be a lawyer, which I don't know about, but um, I definitely feel like part of it was wanting to take advantage of the great opportunity that I had in going to DC and in going to Georgetown. Another part was also wanting to feed the interests that I already had in politics and law. What was your biggest takeaway? Probably that's the question. Was well, it something you discovered about yourself or your culture? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I feel like African-American studies didn't really teach me 
things about myself as much as it did teach me about the world around me and how I could fit in with the world around me. Like it wasn't self-reflective, but it was still helpful in terms of helping me understand and contextualize and just think about the way that um, the way that society works, the way that I live my life. Like when I think about how, for example, part of why I'd wanted to do it going into Georgetown was because growing up and in the Midwest, I'd lived in a suburb that was predominantly white and had a lot of Asian people as well but there weren't a lot of black people and so just throughout high school I had a really um I just had a lot of thoughts about race I guess as I was like growing up in this like predominantly white space and I feel like African-American studies was really helpful with giving me a space to articulate those thoughts and also learn more about those thoughts learn how to present them accurately and read other people who were thinking similar things or exploring those same kinds of relationships and had that and had a similar perspectives I guess that's what I would say like I think that it really helped me to um take what I'd been thinking and be exposed to um like the world of other people that have had similar thoughts and helped push my thinking forward as well that's what I would say so this foundation that you work with um currently you made a note that you fund or you provide resources for young mm-hmm. people, right, around Chicago and the suburbs. Mm-hmm. What kind of funding are you providing and what kind of projects are you using this funding for? Mm. Well, I'm definitely excited to talk about this. It's a little um it's a little complicated just in the sense that the foundation has not launched yet. I'm hoping them with they already have like they're building on existing philanthropic mm-hmm. work. But the foundation itself, like, I didn't name it either because we don't have a name yet. We're still in the process of naming our foundation and working on our brand and all of those sorts of things. That said, in terms of the work that we're looking at doing, what can I say? Well, part of it is it's really centered a lot on high school age students. A big part of it is around a financial education curriculum Mm. that was already developed in past years. Like it's already been tested and given out to other students. And we're really trying to continue supporting the development of that curriculum. So it's really looking at um, making sure that it's accessible for students around Chicago and making sure that it's culturally relevant and all these things. That's a big part of the work right now is making sure that this financial education curriculum can go out to young people like at an age where it can help them to like start thinking about and gaining control over their finances as they are becoming adults and gaining that access and agency over their money and getting jobs and all of these things. So the curriculum is a big part of it. Outside of that, we're also still looking at a few other ideas. We're thinking about trying to work with different audiences. We're trying to see if there's a space for another curriculum that can be for entrepreneurs or different groups of people in different professions. Um, And we're looking at partnering with other foundations, but it's trying to work with other foundations that are involved in, you know, that economic mobility, those financial supports for especially uh, high school age young people. But we're still open and still determining where we're going to be right now. Okay, I'm curious, why did you decide to go down this route with this organization? Mm. Well, I'll say two things to that. I'll say the first as far as yeah, as far as the why I'll say that um, I definitely care about these kind of social causes, these social impact efforts. I remember at one point when I was 
um, at school, I volunteered for an organization in DC called One DC, and they're involved with housing rights and justice for people throughout the DMV, the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, I bring that up just to say that um, helping other people, giving back because I feel so privileged in my own life has definitely been an important um, reason for me to look at social causes. At the same time, this foundation in particular was, the language had been around um, the helping young people and especially helping people from disadvantaged communities like racially marginalized and poor people. And that was important to me coming from the African-American studies and government background. I definitely like, I'm aware that it's important to be straightforward, kind of clear spoken with these goals in terms of who you wanna serve. And so I thought that, especially with the foundation in its startup form, it would be great if I could join them uh, in that effort to help people from racially marginalized and low-income backgrounds. And also the Chicago element of it all, too, was another appeal for me. So I would say that those were some of the main reasons why I joined the foundation. Mm -hmm. And as far as how, I'll just say that, I'll say that, you know, post-2020, post the pandemic coming and shifting everything in the United States in like March, April and beyond of 2020, part of what I was looking for in a job was just any opportunity could both align with my interests and values and pay the bills. And so I was just really fortunate that this foundation, you know, appeared to me and I this opportunity to work for them. You live in Washington, you work in Chicago. How has that been for you? <laughs> it's been good. <laughs> Thank God for Zoom and all the other things. You came down to Chicago to visit, but do you get a chance to go into some of these communities or not quite mm-hmm. yet? So how is that balance in between living in Washington and uh, working in Chicago? How does how has that worked for you over the last year? Mm-hmm. It's been pretty good. Yeah, definitely grateful for Zoom. I feel really fortunate to be able to work remotely because, um, <laughs> yeah, I'll say in particular, as far as the Chicago versus East Coast thing, just one benefit that I've definitely enjoyed is the time difference. Being able to wake up and work technically starts at 10 Eastern, just because that's nine central, even though things do kind of get a little fluid, especially with it being a startup. As far as the work itself, It's definitely been important for me and for my boss as well that I'm still able to be connected with Chicago as we're figuring out the goals of the foundation and as we're moving ahead to do this work. I do fly out to Chicago. The goal is quarterly at least so that I'm able to do work with my boss and stay connected to the city. Although I also spend time in Chicago frequently just on my own because my family is out here in Illinois. So that also like keeps me connected as well. It's definitely been interesting. I've never done anything like it before. I'll say that for right now, because we haven't really gotten into the launching of the foundation and the implementation of all these goals. There haven't been any challenges really that have come up for me as far as doing this work. Like a lot of it is still planning, it's communications. So much of communications right now is electronic. So much of it is emails or Zoom calls. I haven't really had many issues in terms of being able to do my job. So back to, to Washington, you said you've enjoyed the arts, the music, the food scenes. Can you just give us a little snapshot of names mm. in that area? <laughs> Community has definitely been a part of what I've been able to enjoy being in D.C. and being far away from home and all these different things, like in a new city that I came to for school and all of that. It's definitely been enjoyable to find communities that I can share my interests with. That said, though, I will say that for DC, I feel like a big part of what I've enjoyed being in the city and a big part of 
my time there and maybe even the ways that I've like grown and changed while being there has been time that I've spent alone and the the ways that I've been able to explore my interests on my own. As far as the the arts and the food and the music that I've enjoyed though, I'll say that um, art-wise, obviously DC has so many great museums because it has the Smithsonian's there and they're all free entry. It also has other museums outside of the Smithsonian's. One of my favorites is the Phillips Collection. It's a private collection of a lot of these different artworks and I remember at one point they had they had a room with a bunch of paintings by this artist Mark Rothko he's like an abstract artist and the paintings were really simple just solid colors on different canvases and it was really I'll say enjoyable I feel like something I can appreciate about abstract art is how it kind of invites you to put a lot into the art in order to get something from it like you look at this canvas it's just like a blue rectangle and a gray rectangle and you in order to really enjoy it you kind of have to start asking yourself questions and thinking about how you're experiencing the art you're like so what does i don't know how does this blue make me feel do i think this is meaningful how much blue is there versus how much gray is there you try to imagine and it's a landscape and you think oh is the blue sky or is the blue water you kind of need to, it's kind of becomes an exercise in imagination to sit and look at some of these art pieces that aren't giving you something that you could just see by opening your eyes and having like something completely realistic or something that's exactly like real life music wise um i saw one of my i saw an artist who had one of my favorite albums this year her name is raven Lanay, r-a-v-y-n uh, is how you spell her first name, Raven. She's a Chicago artist, actually. Uh, she released her debut album this year, and it's one of my favorite albums of the year. I was able to see her live. And besides that, of course, there are plenty of other like DC-specific things, the National Symphony Orchestra, for example, that I actually haven't seen a concert from the National Symphony Orchestra, but I definitely want to with a friend. That's definitely one of my goals. And food-wise, um, it's just really strong in like, every category like I feel like there are definitely higher highs that I've had in other places but I feel like across the board whether it's Asian food African food European food DC generally like has at least a handful of great places in most corners of the city I've lived in a couple different places of the district I've lived in a couple different neighborhoods at this point and I've been able to find food that I really love in all of them so yeah you make me want to go there. You, you've got an apartment, so I can always come back. <laughs> yeah. I just love the way you broke things down. But there's something you said there, which just jumped out at me. And that was you were able to experience things alone. Mm -hmm. you know? And I thought, hmm. You know, a lot of the time we want company around us. And we have a hard time with solitude. But you just saying that just really struck a chord that sometimes it's just enjoyment in just enjoying something alone. There's a sacredness to that. Um, the other times, of course, you want to share with somebody, but just that. Mm -hmm. I really like yeah. I really like that. Yeah. And then how you just broke down the uh, the contemporary art, the gray and the blue and mm -hmm. digging deep to find meaning of what it is that you're looking at. Like you said, a lot of the time we look at a piece of work and voila, there it is. But a lot of these come, you know, contemporary stuff, you just see a little dot in the middle of a huge canvas and you're asking, what is that all about? But mm -hmm. it just forces you to really do that inner work 
of trying to find meaning. And I really appreciated what you said there. So, mm. man, you're deep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And actually, I'll say, um, well, it's been a really great place for me to find that kind of growth while being alone or being on my own because it is it's relatively small and it has great public transport I've been fortunate to not need a car while in DC or being alone and being in DC have both enabled me to like feel anchored in myself feel centered in what I'm doing kind of even with so many people around me and maybe in part because there are so many people around me all doing their own thing that's good I think that's a lesson that we all need to learn um, at some point in our lives I'm a firm believer you only need the right friends who feel positivity, who challenge you um, towards growth, who hold you accountable. Do you have that community in DC? Yeah, I feel comfortable saying that I do. I think that I have a couple of different groups of friends that I feel close to in DC. I feel like DC can sometimes feel like a hard place to make friends, honestly. And I feel like it's kind of taught me that outside of my core group of friends, often the way that I meet friends is through shared interests, shared activities. Like I feel like a lot of people in DC can be kind of guarded unless you're doing the same thing or going to the same place or working on the same goal. At the same time, um, I guess I would say it can be hard. And it's kind of a cliche in DC, I guess, that people in DC will often ask, like is one of the first things when you talk to them, like, so what do you do? Like, what's your job? On one hand, it can feel kind of um, elitist maybe. And at the same time, in a positive way, it could be like a way to, like I said, for you to find common ground and build in an activity or something with another person. As far as my core group of friends, my community, I, I feel like um, I feel like what makes them my community, what makes them my core group of friends is that they've been people that I feel like I can rely on that are there throughout all of the different changes that I've gone through in my life and in my time in DC. Like it's been those people that are there, I guess. Thank you for sharing that. Finding meaning in who you are and not just what you do. Stephen, I just came across this quote by a famous poet and playwright, Oscar Wilde. And it says, to live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people just exist. Can you think of anything in your life that this quote may apply to? Have there been any turning points in your life that really made you start to live intentionally. Mind you, this podcast is called YOLO, You Only Live Once. So <laughs> have there been any turning points in your life that made you just think, mm, I need to start being intentional about the things that I do? First, I just want to say that quote was really interesting. At first, I was definitely along for the ride in terms of like to live as a rarest thing in the world, I was thinking, oh yeah, you'd only get one life. And then when he said most people were like only exist, it felt like kind of a call out. But um, as far as answering your question, yeah, turning points where I've lived intentionally. Maybe one of the biggest ones that has happened fairly recently was, was living alone. My first time living alone was uh, when I was in DC. I, got a one bedroom apartment for the first time. I was 23, I turned 24 while living alone. And um, so that was, I wanna say maybe September, October of 2021, I think October of 2021. That was definitely a big turning point in my life. Before then I'd always lived with someone else. 
immediately before I was living in my one bedroom, I lived in a two bedroom with one other roommate who was a friend from college. And just living alone with such an interesting experience for so many different reasons. I'm not living alone anymore. I live with a roommate again. It was definitely hard to be living in my one bedroom throughout the pandemic, especially that winter of 2021 was so difficult. <laughs> uh, just because of so many different reasons, the isolation, the cold, COVID, like everything all at once. And um, I feel like that was a big moment in my life because it really encouraged me to taught me to forced me to take a lot of a lot more responsibility for my life and for the way that I um, felt and the way that I was living my life. Yeah, there were so many days, especially because I worked remote as well. If I didn't put in the effort, I might not leave my apartment. I might not have another conversation with another person or the only conversations I had would be work related. It just became clear to me how, um, I think you said this at the top of the podcast, actually, I was thinking about it as I came in, but you said something about seizing the day. That's been something that um, I was forced to learn the importance of when I was living alone, because if I didn't seize the day, then like, I wasn't necessarily going to lose anything or be hurt or be like directly, like negatively targeted. Mm -hmm. But it is like, if nothing good happened in the day, it would be because I didn't like bring anything good to myself. And then it would be a day where nothing good happened, which isn't a good day. And so it definitely living alone was a big turning point because it really taught me about how much more agency and responsibility I had to take for my own happiness. Like I wasn't just going to be happy if I just floated along and didn't pursue things or put in the effort to get the things that I want, see the people I wanted to see, do the things that would make me happy and healthy and feel good. So um, yeah, that was probably the biggest recent turning point in my life that I've had. Did you think at any point, I want to just go back to Chicago and be with my mommy and daddy? (laughs) (laughs) I said, no, I am going to stay here. Did you feel the push to run to the comfort zone? I don't think I ever felt pulled or compelled to do that. I don't think I was ever on the razor's edge as far as if I wanted to stay in DC or go back to my parents' home, just because um, I'll start there. I wouldn't be able to have as much control over my living conditions because, you know, when you live with other people, there's always more to negotiate as far as, you know, they could be cleaning and put something away in a place where you didn't know it would be, or you could like the blinds open and they could like the blinds drawn, like all these things suddenly need to become an external negotiation outside of just like you making the decision for yourself of what you like. So I'll say that for one. But then for two, it just is a different lifestyle when you live with anyone. Like, I'm definitely grateful to um, be living with a roommate again. I would not want to live alone again right now. You just need to be a little more present, a little more on, a little more aware at all times when you're living with other people versus when you're on your own. And there are pros and cons to that, definitely. But even from the beginning, I felt like I at least needed to try the living alone just so that I could have that experience for a year. And um, I did learn a lot about myself through doing it. And I definitely struggled through a lot of things. One of my biggest struggles when I was living alone was probably just decorating my apartment. But just in terms of making it my own, in terms of personalizing it, and in terms of making it the space where I was most comfortable, um, I really struggled with that. Like it wasn't until like my last two or three months there that I got like, a nice like work area set up before then I was doing all my work on the computer on my sofa or in bed. 
so yeah I definitely had struggles but um I definitely feel like and even at the time I felt like I needed to go through that period and like take all the things that came with it and then I could reassess after I'd gone through it for a year I love the fact that you were willing to press through. Yeah, growth only comes when you struggle through it. It doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the butterfly. The butterfly in the cocoon has to go through the struggle in order to come out on the other side. If you interrupt it prematurely, it doesn't develop fully and it might even die. But you were prepared to push through. And like you said, you learned some things about yourself, but you also learned that you don't want to live alone again. <laughs> it was a lot. Not right now. <laughs> and I think also it was just the season, the time, you know, COVID and yeah. all this. It was just a really, really tough time where people were looking for company and were being forced into this um, isolation or l- being alone. And it was a difficult time. I think it was a difficult time mm-hmm. for everybody to actually navigate through. So bravo for coming through. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. You know, one of the questions that I ask all my guests on the podcast, and this is the biggie, this is the biggie, is, Mm. you know, in light of everything that you've shared with us and this whole YOLO, you only live once, the experiences that you've had from your studies and, you know, just your life experiences, the different challenges that you've gone through, the struggles and the victories on the other side and the lessons learned in between what does it mean for you to live the candid life I think that living the candid life means being true to yourself I definitely think that being able to reflect being able to check in with yourself on your decisions and being honest with yourself about how you feel in those decisions and in how you're living your life that's how I feel I live a candid life that's how I feel a person can live a candid life by being willing to be honest with themselves about how they're really feeling rather than trying to convince yourself that you enjoy something in my work something that's come up in the past has been the sunk cost fallacy where um having committed to something in the past you think that that means you still need to commit to it it's usually spoken about in terms of like you buying something uh, doesn't mean that you then have to like stick with it and commit to it for its entire lifespan, especially if you're not enjoying it yourself. Because you've already paid that cost, it's a sunk cost in terms of you've already put in the dollars to whatever effort you've seen through. So it doesn't. So you don't need to make your future decision making based on the past decision that's already been made, the cost that's already been sunk into the thing. And I feel like similarly when it comes to living a candid life, you don't need to feel beholden to even your like past decisions and your past feelings I think that part of it is again that checking in that reflecting that being willing to be in tune with yourself and know how you're feeling and act on that instead of the idea of how you should feel or what you thought back then or whatever Stephen can I just say thank you for coming on The Candid Life it's truly been an honor and a pleasure to have you share your story and your experiences that I'm sure our listeners and our viewers will be very, very blessed just gleaning from everything that you've shared. So thank you for coming on The Candid Life. We really appreciate that. Thank you. I definitely, I really appreciate you inviting me. I'm really grateful that I could join and I really enjoyed and appreciated this conversation. I'm glad that we could talk. It's good. So family, you've heard him, Stephen Botchway. 
right on the candid life and so i'd like to encourage you to connect with me on live the candid life at gmail.com follow me on instagram facebook and tiktok <laughs> if you want to get a word of encouragement and please subscribe and share this podcast and like i say all the time I promise you this one thing, that if you do listen to The Candid Life, you will come away inspired, challenged, and empowered to live differently so that you can make an impact on this generation and the next. And so until next time, remember your story matters because you matter. So live The Candid Life 24-7. God bless Inaendeshwa na Afripods.